It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. Now, if you've been following us over the past few months, you know that we have had a lot of fun going nationwide from California to Texas, North Carolina to Florida, introducing you to first-time candidates, people who are running for the House of Representatives, for governor for senate and in some cases on the local basis uh, you know people who are running for city council we want you to know what it's like to really get inside these campaigns and this week our stop is in baltimore maryland now baltimore is a very proud city and it should be it's known as charm city it's got a very diverse population got world-renowned medical centers like Johns Hopkins, quaint neighborhoods like Little Italy and Hamden. It's got impressive sports complexes, M&T Bank Stadium, home of the Ravens, the iconic Camden Yards, home of the Orioles, not to mention the beautiful Inner Harbor. But Baltimore has, along with Chicago and Ferguson, which of course is um, the suburban St. Louis area, seen its homicide rate grow. Its inner city faces crime and drug issues, and education issues. That brings us to the race for Maryland State Senate, District 41. They have two Democrats facing off, Jill Carter and J.D. Merrill, for the seat that has been vacated by Nathaniel Oaks, who on April 26th of this year was ordered by a judge to be removed from the ballot. Now, Oaks resigned from the State Senate on March 29th amid scandals. We're not going to go into it if you want to find it out. Plenty of places to find out what happened in Nathaniel Oaks. Our focus is on the race between the 27-year-old Merrill, a former teacher, son-in-law of Martin O'Malley, who was, of course, the mayor of the city, governor of the state of Maryland, and recently made an unsuccessful run at the Democratic presidential nomination, losing out to Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Well, J.D. Merrill faces a former candidate in Ms. Carter. She's a former member of the Maryland House of Delegates who heads Baltimore Mayor Catherine Pugh's Civil Rights Office. Now, that's a formidable task, taking on someone with the credentials of Ms. Carter. But I'm going to tell you something. After talking with J.D. Merrill, I can tell you that he is someone who is not about to back down. And uh, he clearly, at only 27, has a very interesting skill set, a wonderful and fresh look at what is needed by the city of Baltimore. And someone who, uh, if he gets elected and is sent down to um, represent the city in Annapolis, is going to do some great things. So I'll tell you right now, J.D. 
why don't you talk to us about what got you interested in taking the plunge into politics and specifically in running for the state Senate in Maryland, District 41? Yeah. Well, first, Jim, thanks so much for having me on your show. My it's pleasure. such an honor and a, and a pleasure. And I'm really excited to talk to you today about the great work we're doing here in uh, Maryland's 41st Legislative District. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you said, I was born and raised here in Baltimore City. Uh, my parents met in the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, and wow. uh, their musical talent was not passed along to me. And uh, <laughs> I was fortunate that uh, as a high school kid at Baltimore City College, I had absolutely incredible instructors, you know, teachers who were active and involved in their community and who invested in their students and who really inspired me to want to go into public education myself. And so in college, I studied education. I came back to Baltimore after college and I landed my dream job, which was teaching back at my high school, back at City College alongside the same people that inspired me to go into the profession in the first place. And it was my time teaching at City College that I really saw the power of investing in the next generation of young people. I had the opportunity to lead a $2.2 million effort to build a new library for our school. And the first year after that new library opened, student achievement on the toughest research projects at the school increased by 158%. And so that showed me everything that I think we need to know about our young people. When we invest in them, when we give them access to opportunity, you know, they step up and, and they succeed. And while I was working at City, I also had the opportunity to travel across Baltimore and meet kids in, in middle schools across our city uh, who didn't have access to that same opportunity. And so I left City and I went to serve as the special assistant to the chief of staff of Baltimore City Public Schools, mm-hmm. uh, where I helped manage the day-to-day operations of our $1.3 billion school system. And I saw there the structural challenges uh, that our school system is facing. You know, I saw how our school district was underfunded by $290 million, according to our current funding formula. I saw how we're underfunded by $358 million, according to the initial report from the Kerwin Commission. Mm -hmm. And I also saw how our school system, our our educational practice was, uh, you know, misaligned from what international research says that we should be doing. And so I saw an opportunity with the Kerwin Commission's recommendations coming before uh, the Maryland General Assembly in the 2019 session to step up and offer myself in service to the people of the 41st District. Uh, I bring the perspective of an educator. I understand what's happening on the ground in our schools and in our communities. I understand the importance of getting this right for our young people uh, during this important political time. J.D., um, you're young yourself, which is not a bad thing. I think that um, one of the keys, and you know this as well as I, uh, there seems to be a a large wave here coming of millennial voters, mm-hmm. and um, you know we've we saw recently um, in New York where they flipped the district that uh, has been Republican since um, 1973, and it's now. Um, you know, it's gone blue. And um, they came very close this week again out in Arizona 8 um, to flipping that one. Uh, uh, it was won by 21% by um, by uh, President Trump. And uh, the final tally had it within six or seven, depending upon whose um, tally you looked at. Um, in your case, 
is this a situation where you do feel that you're going to get um, a large millennial turnout? Because without that millennial turnout, that's going to be difficult for you to win. Well, look, you know, a lot of my friends who are 27 years old and, and living in Baltimore City uh, live in the, our downtown neighborhoods of Fells Point and Canton mm-hmm. and Federal Hill. And the, the 41st District is our outer city neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It's our neighborhoods that have really been left behind and disinvested in. Uh, mm-hmm. 50% of our voters here in the 41st District are over the age of 50. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, while I got into this race because of my background in education and because of how important I think the future of our public schools are. What I've been most surprised by is the sense that I get on the doors that people are looking for uh, someone that can help rebuild trust in government. You know, Mm -hmm. people feel that whether it's at the federal or the state or the local level, our government just isn't working for us. And that's something that cuts across age, it cuts across race, it cuts across income level. And Mm -hmm. folks are looking for people that are gonna step up and work hard and, and rebuild trust, make us believe in our government as a as a force and a tool for good again. Let me ask you about something that I know a lot of people are very interested in, very attuned to at this point in time. That's the gun violence. Um, mm-hmm. You can't go anywhere in the country without and and mention that you're from Baltimore without <laughs> someone automatically wondering how many times you've been shot. Um, And I don't mean to make that be flip about that. um, But Baltimore has got a reputation and it's not a good one uh, with regard to gun violence. Now, part of that, uh, I assume, given your background and what you've put out on your website is that, you know, after school programs, all of these types of things help to lift the inner city, but I'd like your thoughts on what are we going to do to help these kids and help these neighborhoods that are right now under siege in Baltimore? That's right. And and you're absolutely right that, that I really believe that the, the thrust of our work has to be centered around our schools. You know, our, our schools right now, our curriculum has become so watered down uh, that it's just focusing on literacy or it's just focusing on math, focusing on math. Um, and, and that really fails to do justice to the whole person um, that is sitting in our classrooms, the whole person uh, that, that yearns to learn art and music and social studies and sciences. And, and when we make our schools whole and we make our schools robust and we include after school programming, you know, that that trickles into our streets as well. You know, we'll have kids that are enrolled in after school programming and, and, and not on the street and might not be hit by a stray bullet. Uh, but, but, you know, we also have a reality where we can't wait uh, 20 years uh, for our schools to improve and for an entire generation to go through them uh, before we start addressing violent crime. I mean, the reality is I was talking to a, a neighbor over in Dorchester in northwest Baltimore last week um, who is is too afraid and too embarrassed to have friends or family members over to her home. She lives on a street where there's active prostitution um, every night where there's an open air drug market on her corner. Uh, and that's no way to live. I mean, we say that home ownership is the American dream and, and, and yet here's a homeowner who uh, doesn't feel safe in their own home or their own, own neighborhood. And we have to take actions at the state level to address that and ensure that every child and every family is living and growing up in a, a safe neighborhood. 
I think that Maryland has been a leader on on gun safety legislation, but it doesn't mean that our, our work is done. Uh, we need to build regional coalitions with Virginia and Pennsylvania to get fingerprinting and license, licensing of weapons um, so that guns aren't brought across state lines and, and used in crimes here in Maryland. And we also have to reform our criminal justice system. You know, we have a 70% recidivism rate here in the city of Baltimore, meaning that seven out of every 10 persons who leave our criminal justice system are going right back in. And that's a reflection of our failure to provide adequate job training services, um, education services, housing services, rehabilitative services um, to people uh, you know, while they're in our system and while they're leaving our system. And that's ultimately the responsibility of the state. And so I think that we really need to sound the alarm bell here um, and wake up to the fact that uh, we have a crisis in Baltimore City uh, and more needs to be done at the state level to help, uh, you know, make our neighborhood safer. Let's talk a second about um, the casino uh, funding. You know, we all knew that when the casinos came in that that was supposed to be a boom to the um, educational side of it. But somehow, some way, we... Um, have some of the most successful um, casinos on the East Coast, yet that money doesn't seem to be trickling down to uh, schools that are, and you know this as well, you're at City. Uh, you know, when you were at City, you knew that uh, as vulnerable, as wonderful as that uh, great institution is, um, it, it's got a little wear on it. And mm-hmm. uh You've got people sitting in classes in their jackets because it's too cold during the summertime. You've got kids sitting there sweltering under the heat. Um, where's this casino money going to go? And are you going to, is that a part of your, uh, um, is that part of your campaign to try to find out why we're not getting as much uh, casino cash going to where it was supposed to go? Sure. Well, I think it's it's evident by now to all of us that we were sold a bill of goods um, with that re- regards to that particular piece of legislation. Uh, the way it was written enabled uh, the money to supplant as opposed to supplement um, funding for education. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, instead of having, you know, two X. Uh, in terms of funding, we we still have X. The money that was used for education went into the general fund, and the new revenue from the casino went into the education fund. Um, mm-hmm. Efforts by Senator Joan Carter Conway this session um, brought forth a, a constitutional amendment that will create a lockbox that will uh, require that funding to supplement in the future, and the voters will have the opportunity through referendum um, to confirm that in November. And that's a, an initiative and an effort uh, that I support. And so, you know, I think that hopefully a legislative fix uh, was reached in 2018, and our focus uh, in 2019 and beyond can be ensuring that we never get ourselves in the situation again where uh, we are shortchanging our students. You're up against a career politician. But um, this is a person who seems to do something that's almost impossible, and that's miss an inordinate amount of votes. Uh, Tell us why you're going to be better at your job than she is at hers. Sure. Well, let me first say um, that I think um, when it comes to the issues and when it comes to ideology, 
Um, my opponent and I are, are both progressive Democrats. We both care about children and families. Um, we both care about issues of social justice. Uh, and I really think that this distinction here is that as a teacher um, in our classroom, I understood very quickly the importance of showing up and working hard every day as a tool for building trust and getting things done for children and families. And the unfortunate contrast here is that in her 14 years in the Maryland General Assembly, she did miss over 1,600 votes. She did bring home the worst attendance record of any member of the Baltimore City delegation for seven of her 14 years. And that's just not acceptable. We send people to Annapolis to be our voice in Annapolis, to be um, our voice on our behalf. And when voting is the fundamental expression of that voice and of being a legislator, um, we simply cannot accept uh, that type of a voting record. And so my commitment to the people of Baltimore is, is that, that I hear you. Um, I've been listening to you, and I understand that to start rebuilding trust, we need to start showing up and working hard on the people's behalf uh, in Annapolis, and that's my commitment. Um, just not that I, not that I would um, take it, but if I were a teacher, I probably would have her in detention for missing that many days. Um, in the regard to vote, but that's just me. JD, um, tell you what, I'm going to give you the next couple of minutes to give your case as to why you need to be headed to Annapolis representing the 45th district. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jim, and thank you again for the opportunity to come on to your show. You know, I was okay. born and raised in the city, and I love the city, and I love the people of our of the 41st district. Uh, we've knocked on over 20,000 doors. We've gone to countless community meetings. We've been meeting people where they are. And what we're hearing across the district is that they're looking for new leadership. They're looking for a fresh start. You know, we've not had, we currently don't have a senator. Uh, we haven't had a senator um, and who has been able to consistently show up and to deliver for the people in quite some time. And I think that as a former teacher, I offer the new leadership and, and fresh start our district really needs. Uh, the with the Kerwin Commission coming before us in 2019, I also think that we need more former teachers in elected office. Uh, these recommendations are going to determine how an entire generation of young people will experience public schools in Maryland. And we have the opportunity to uh, reshape the way we do early childhood education, reshape the way we do teacher professional development, enhance our curriculum, finally provide more resources for students who need them the most. And we have the opportunity to improve our governance and accountability for our public schools here in Maryland. And no one understands the urgency and importance of these issues better than teachers. And then when it comes to other issues as well, you know, teachers understand uh, the importance of improving public transit. You know, I saw it in my first period class every single day, kids who would wake up at 5 a.m. and be late to school because it took an hour and a half. Uh, to take two or three buses from South Baltimore to Northeast Baltimore. You know, we understand the importance of ending gun violence and making our neighborhoods safe because we've seen how it impacts our students and their families. There's no group of professionals that's more motivated to get this right for Baltimore uh, than our public school teachers. And our teachers understand the importance of showing up and working hard and, and listening to the good people of Baltimore because that's what we had to do in our classrooms to be effective. And so I think that's what I have to offer to the people of the 41st District. Uh, new leadership focused on improving our schools um, and a, a desire to be held accountable and to work hard on their behalf. J.D., I'll tell you what, after these words, we'll come back. We'll talk to your campaign manager, David Offit, and to you about this new form of 
how people are using social media and other things to actually run a campaign. So right after this, we'll be back. We'll continue our conversation with J.D. Merrill. We'll also bring David Offit into the conversation. So stay with us right here on the Politically Incorrect Podcast. We'll be back after these words. Sling TV is America's number one live television streaming service. And I'm here to tell you that I am proud to be a slinger. That's right. Slinging is about breaking norms and connecting people with TV that satisfies through choice and control at a reasonable price. It is a way of life. Anyone can be a slinger. I invite my friends to enjoy the choice and control that only Sling TV can offer. Hey, millions are doing it, folks. You want freedom, right? Well, Sling gives you the freedom and the choice to craft just the right package that fits your interest. If you're a newsie, you've got CNN, you've got MSNBC, you've got Bloomberg, you've got CNBC, you've got HLN, you've got BBC World. That's just to name a few. If you're a sports person, hey, no problem there. You've got the ESPN family of networks, Fox Sports Networks, NBC Sports Network, and much, much more. Lifestyles, HGTV, Food Network, Travel Network, Lifetime, Entertainment. There you go. You got TNT, TBS, USA, Comedy Central, A&E, plus much, much more. Multiple languages, no problem. Sling has 22 different languages at the lowest price on the market anywhere. So give Sling TV a try today. I will bet that you're going to be a slinger just like me for a very, very long time. So go to sling.com. That's sling.com and check out how to be a slinger today. Okay, we're back with uh, J.D. Merrill and, of course, uh, his campaign manager, David Offit. David, uh, let me ask you this question. Now, you're someone who's had some D.C. credibility and got your chops put together there, uh, been around some campaigns. This is your first uh, opportunity to, to run a campaign. Let's talk a little bit about how it's been so far, what, uh, how you and JD have worked together and, and obviously you've had volunteers. How did you, um, from the ground up, tell me how this campaign began? Well, listen, this is, this is an extraordinary campaign, unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I think what really differentiates it is, uh, the way that we have student involvement in the campaign. Um, this is a campaign that is centered around amplifying the voices of students and teachers and giving them political power. And so on any given day, when we're phone banking here in our office or we're knocking on doors around the district, the people who are doing it are former students of JD's, or as they all call him still, Mr. Merrill. Um, you know, we have high school juniors and seniors and college freshmen and sophomores knocking on doors and not only saying, here's a candidate who I believe in, but saying, here's a candidate who was my teacher, who changed my life, who changed the way I look at the world. And I want the district to be able to benefit from him in the same way that I benefited from him. And so more than anything I've seen before, we have these incredibly powerful validators of JD's experience and JD's, and JD's impact on people. Um, and and I think that's really resonating with people at the doors. They really love hearing from these students. They love seeing that students are involved and engaged in the political process. And frankly, they really trust the students. They know that the people coming to their door aren't people who are, you know, paid canvassers or who are doing this for 
a particular party or anything, any sort of political power, but they're doing it because they genuinely care. The vast majority of our volunteers and our field organizers and our staff, this is their first campaign. We're all doing this because we're passionate about it. And I think that really comes through in everything we do. You know, um, it's funny. Uh, you guys are my 16th campaign, and we're talking about most of these are campaigns uh, that are in Texas, in North Carolina, in California, you know, all the way across the country, all the different demographic situations. And it's funny, David, what you said, and J.D. will get you in on this as a, as a candidate. Uh, these are, I've got EMT people who are in, you know, involved in their first uh, campaign as, you know, either running the campaign or being the, the candidate. A lot of, of first-time doctors, a lot of women um, who are first-time in there. And every one of them, David, in, to some degree, has shares what you're talking about. There's a passion here. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, I've been covering politics since I was in school, which, you know, was went back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, but... I haven't really seen the kind of passion that this uh, wave has brought since the Vietnam War days, and I I think it's it's a passion that uh, I hope uh, will continue past 2018 and 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 beyond, uh, because as you guys know, um, there's been a long history of. Uh, Passion for about 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden it goes away. And um, I, I just don't think that's going to happen this time. I think this is a campaign where I'm seeing people saying, you know what? I'm in, and I'm in for the, haul, the long haul. J.D., for, as a candidate standpoint, you work with David. Um, talk about the relationships between a campaign manager and a first-time candidate. Yeah, well, I, let me just first say that to build on what David was talking about, the coolest part of this process and the part that I'm having the most fun with is to go from from teaching about government in the classroom uh, to running to, to serve in it and to be doing that alongside so many of my former students has made this campaign an extension of the classroom that we are learning together. You know, I'm a first time candidate. David's a first-time campaign manager. Many of my students are first-time uh, campaign volunteers and workers. And so you're, I think that you're absolutely right that it feels like in this moment there is staying power uh, for the energy that we're feeling that there hasn't been in the past. And I think it's because we're starting to realize that everyday people do this. Ordinary people run for office. And that's what makes, you know, sort of the American experiment and democracy such a such a beautiful thing that it's accessible to all of us. And I think that we're starting to feel that across the country, um, that teachers and, and doctors and nurses um, and steel workers are stepping up to run for office and saying, hey, we need to be heard. We need, we need to see at this table too. Well, I think too, and JD and uh, David, um, you know, the Koch brothers have said they're going to roll out $400 million for the 2018 campaign. That's just one group, okay? 
$400 million. But here's the interesting part. There was over $1.7 million spent in the election this week in Arizona 8 for the Republicans to hold on to a seat that the, that the president won by 21 points, uh, that district. That just goes to show that even when you sink on, you know, these ungodly amounts of, of cash into the race, that that doesn't guarantee you a win. And uh, I think what we're going to find out in 2018 is how much big money, which normally is, goes to, doesn't go to first-time um, candidates, mm-hmm. is going to suddenly come up against, can passion beat big-time money? And I think that in some cases, in some places, it won't. But in other situations, it will. And I think that um, that's going to be an interesting change of a dynamic in this country if the 2018 election can um, can de- can really deliver some serious uh, victories. And uh, remembering that in um, you know on every possible level, uh, whether JD it's a state level or city level or national level. Um, it's amazing, and I applaud uh, candidates who are first-time candidates to go out there and do their best to, um, you know, to to get to, you know, to win. I mean, that's a put yourself out there is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Well, that's certainly true, and you know, I think one thing that I've learned from this process is that strong campaigns really have three things: they have mm-hmm. a, a strong message, a strong organization and the resources that they need to communicate that message. So message, organization, and and money. And I think that first-time candidates, you know, they don't run unless they know why they're running, right? They they come to the table inherently with a strong message. And because of the passion behind that message, they're often also able to organize people and organize a campaign behind them. And so I think that you're right. What we're seeing here is that message and organization – um, done well can have an outsized influence uh, than big money can. Uh, money can't buy a message. And the authenticity that comes from people who are passionate about their work that they're doing and, and the people they want to serve, um, that's a passion and an authenticity that money can't buy. David, let me ask you about social media. I think that one of the things that we've learned you know, in this world of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and other areas um allows you to fight on a level which big money doesn't quite understand they never got that um you know one of the things that uh, president trump did like it or not is um mitt romney and i'm sorry no mitt romney um jeb bush spent over 10 million dollars in in boston uh during the campaign for New Hampshire, and basically Trump spent nothing because all he did was stay on Twitter, and he was able to crush all of that money with Twitter. Um, Obviously, with Twitter, Facebook, and other social media, Instagram, as we said, others, um, there's a way to get to the audience and get to the voters that doesn't necessarily require you spending the kind of cash that used to be – seen as almost uh, the only way to get on uh, 
uh, to get to the to the voters. Yeah. So, look, I think social media is certainly important, and especially on a national level where you're trying to reach millions of people at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, spending money on Facebook ads or on tweeting or whatever mm-hmm. is is certainly important. In a race like ours, there is absolutely no substitute for going and knocking on doors and mm-hmm. meeting your neighbors. And so, yes, we're using social media, we're posting things on social media, but where mm-hmm. we're where we're really focusing our energy is on our field program and on our ground game and getting mm-hmm. as many passionate volunteers as we possibly can to knock on doors and say, "Here's why I'm voting for JD Merrill, and I hope you'll join me." Um, I think that, you know, people in our district probably aren't looking to social media as much as they might in a national election. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't mean we're not utilizing it. It doesn't mean we don't think it's important, but our priority is certainly on the field. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, um, you know, will benefit you and benefit uh, other candidates down the road because you will have laid down a ground force. And the other thing is that the, the volunteers will then understand the importance of mobilizing the troops as it were and getting people to the polls and uh, why don't you tell us about uh, when the primary is coming up and uh, how people can get early voting and anything that you need to tell them about uh, preparing to get into this uh, primary time great so election day is june 26th and here in maryland we've got a great early vote window that begins june 14th and ends on june 21st and so there are uh, several early vote locations across the city of Baltimore that you can access on the uh, Board of Elections website. Um, and then you can vote in your neighborhood on Election Day on June 26th. Uh, folks can always reach out to us on our website, jdmerrill.com, uh, or send us an email at info at jdmerrill. If you don't know uh, where your polling place is or if you're registered to vote, we're happy to help uh, get people to the polls and get people registered so that they can take part in our democracy. David, uh, why don't you give us your social media? Yep, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash JD Merrill. You can find us at twitter.com slash JD Merrill, instagram.com slash JD Merrill, and always on our website at jdmerrill.com. I think you got it covered. Well, gentlemen, it's a pleasure chatting with you. Guys, I wish you the best. And uh, certainly, um, it's not often, actually, that I get to talk to people I actually can vote for. So, uh, <laughs> and what we hope to earn your vote. So, I, uh, I I'm more than happy to say that I'm going to uh, be casting my vote, JD, for you, and uh, I wish you uh, well. And I hope that uh, the next time we chat, it'll be about uh, the general election and how uh, things are going to uh, go if you know once you get down to Annapolis. Great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your support and the opportunity to have this conversation with you. J.D. Merrill, David Offit, a pleasure to have you both with us today on the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Politically Incorrect Podcast will continue right after this from Sling TV. Sling TV is America's number one live television streaming service. And I'm here to tell you that I am proud to be a slinger. That's right. Slinging is about breaking norms and connecting people with TV that satisfies through choice and control at a reasonable price. It is a way of life. Anyone can be a slinger. I invite my friends to enjoy the choice and control that only Sling TV can offer. Hey, millions are doing it, folks. You want freedom, right? 
Well, Sling gives you the freedom and the choice to craft just the right package that fits your interest. If you're a newsie, you've got CNN, you've got MSNBC, you've got Bloomberg, you've got CNBC, you've got HLN, you've got BBC World. That's just to name a few. If you're a sports person, hey, no problem there. You've got the ESPN family of networks, Fox Sports Networks, NBC Sports Network, and much, much more. Lifestyles, HGTV, Food Network, Travel Network, Lifetime, Entertainment. There you go. You got TNT, TBS, USA, Comedy Central, A&E, plus much, much more. Multiple languages, no problem. Sling has 22 different languages at the lowest price on the market anywhere. So give Sling TV a try today. I will bet that you're going to be a slinger just like me for a very, very long time. So go to sling.com. That's sling.com and check out how to be a slinger today. Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Now, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, we make it extremely simple. You can go to the iTunes store. We're very pleased to be part of the Apple family of podcasts. Go to Google Play, to Blog Talk Radio. Go to Stitcher, where I know approximately 38 million people have downloaded that outstanding Stitcher podcast app. There's the Speaker Podcast app, which, again, outstanding podcast app. And, of course, last but not least, if you're one of the 172 million people, myself included, who've downloaded the TuneIn app, to either your phone or to your tablet. All you have to do is search the Politically Incorrect Podcast and poof, every week a brand new edition will come to your phone or to your tablet or to both, okay? So six different opportunities to get the podcast. It's free, it's easy to do, and frankly, I gotta say we're very proud uh, this week to uh, join the likes of Face the Nation, uh, Meet the Press, Morning Joe, and so many other outstanding uh, shows, uh, as we are now part of the Amazon family. So if you have any of the Alexa uh, devices that you use for an assistant situation, all you have to do from this day forward, ladies and gentlemen, is just say, Alexa, Play the latest edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast, and we will be right there on whatever device you use, be it your phone, be it your tablet, or any of the Alexa um, assistant devices. So very cool to be part of that group and very honored that we were one of the few podcasts that were chosen to be involved in that. So very cool on that standpoint, and uh, we're very happy to be there. But we wouldn't be there if it weren't for you people as well. All right. Okay. Speaking of thanks, we certainly want to thank J.D. Merrill, who is running for Senate in the 41st District of the state of Maryland. We wish him all the best. David Office is campaign manager, also joined us today. And uh, we hope that you have a wonderful week. Next week will be California and Nevada as we take a look at the, some races out there. So, well, until then, Have a wonderful and safe weekend. So for the staff here at the Politically Incorrect Podcast, I'm Jim Williams saying have a wonderful and safe weekend. Take care.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 